Hi, I'm Kate. Hi, I'm Usma, and we are two moms out to save the world. My friend Kate is a passionate woman teaching women about sovereignty. And my friend Uzma is passionate about how to survive as a mom after the kids have grown and flown. Together, we want to break societal norms and bring a new perspective to life and the world around us. Join us as we create an alternate perspective for a richer life and better relations. We are two two moms out out to save the world. (laughs) Good morning, Uzma. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Kate? I'm great. Um, how's your morning going? Tell me all about it. Oh, your my morning. Well, I don't know if you want to hear about my morning. I couldn't sleep last night, then I didn't want to wake up this morning. I haven't grounded myself. I'm wearing two different pairs of socks, my pajamas. And um, I'm just like, this is the way it is. It's okay. I'm aligning myself because I'm excited with this podcast. I could be really upset right now, but I'm not. I'm happy. I feel like this was me last. Tuesday when we podcast it. Remember, you're like, how's your morning? I'm like, well, let's just talk about your morning because yeah. mine's <laughs> exactly. But it made me realize how important routine in the morning is and how important to stay the same is because you know, if you can't let go the way I've learned to, then it can be really hard. Your whole morning and your whole day will be disaster. But oh. anyway, so I learned something also. So I'm happy you about that. Yeah. Exactly. You learn something about yourself. Yeah. And coming on this podcast always makes me happy and aligned with myself. So tell me about your morning. Oh, I've had, I've had a really great morning. I, um, it's snowing like a mother here. Um, and we're supposed to get up to six inches. (laughs) The look on your face right now. I'm like, God, no, I know exactly. (laughs) I don't like cold weather. Well, you know what? I, we have these really cool stores. They're called feral. I'm going somewhere with this. I swear to God. Um, and they are like outdoor stores, but you can take your outdoor equipment there and they like consign it. Right. Actually, it's not even consignment. They'll give you like credit or cash on the spot for your outdoors. So we turn like a bunch of stuff in, in the past, like two months, I think we've, we've gotten like $400 in credit there with just stuff that we don't wear anymore that we return. Anyway, I got this long, it comes past my knees, North face, big puffy down coat. Um, that is just perfect for this weather. So I actually get excited about this weather because I can wear my big puffy coat and walk outside with your dogs, right? And walk outside with my dogs. So yes, and I got it at this this very cool store in um, Denver. Anyway, that's, that's awesome. it. So I went for a walk with my dogs oh, in the snow. Nice. It was beautiful. Oh, good. I love going. You know, the one I don't like cold weather, but when you go outside and it's so crisp and it hits your face, it really makes you energetic and happy. I don't know that just the sun and the cold on your face, but I, I wanted to um, talk about our guest today. I'm so excited that she's here. I was going to bring up that um, we have, we have a guest today. Why don't you introduce her since you know her better than I do, although I'll know her after this for sure. Yeah, exactly. Sure. will. okay. Well, my friend is Alexa and um, I'm going to let her tell herself about herself. But one funny story I want to say is that every time I talk to her or, you know, do an interview or anything like that, the minute I say Alexa, my Alexa actually goes off. So it's really funny. You know, music has played. It starts doing weird stuff. So all my backgrounds have weird stuff whenever I interview her. So today I unplugged it. So we won't have that problem. So Alexa, I'm going to give you the floor. Introduce yourself and tell us about mindful eating. 
Well, thank you guys so much. Thank you, Kate. Thank you, Uzma. And honestly, I'm not new to the Amazon Alexas. A lot of people struggle when I come over because I never know who anybody is talking to, whether it's to me or to Alexa to turn up the music or something like that. So yeah, it's, it's definitely something that follows me everywhere. But thank you so much for having me on. And um, so I am a registered dietitian. I'm based out of Ontario, Canada. And I, I help women with emotional eating. I help individuals who are struggling with emotional eating, release that chaotic feeling around food and find more ease and peace with food, eating habits, and even with themselves over time. Wow. That's amazing. I, I love that. Like, um, emotional eating. Right. And, and, um, I know you use, you talk about, we're going to talk about this later, but eating mindfully. Right. Cause I talk about mindfulness all the time and really being present. And so I, I love that we're able to talk about it, like in just another area of people's lives, which is something you do many times a day, which is eating. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and for me, um, I also had my, my own journey with discovering mindfulness. And so this felt like a really nice area of practice for me to land on because integrated things that I've, I've learned personally, as well as the work I do as a dietitian every day and incorporating mindfulness in with nutrition and, and balancing the twos, the two, because nutrition still plays a role, but it's about being mindful and present in the practice of eating. So if we're talking about mindful eating and for anybody who's not familiar with it, mindful eating is, is really the practice of bringing our awareness to our thoughts, our feelings, and our actions around food. So really connecting those three and so much in our busy, busy lives, we become distracted. We, and then this probably extends beyond eating, but in, but in particular with eating, we become very distracted or on autopilot with our eating habits. And, and it's there to help, uh, keep us going. Our body is trained to, to reach for things and, and do certain things in our day just to make sure that we're, we're doing what we need to do. But, but over time, we start to disconnect from what our body's actually telling us and from what our body actually needs. And we do with a lot of things out of habit conditioning um, that, that doesn't necessarily serve us day in and day out. So mindfulness is about bringing it back to the basics and really starting to tune in again and connect ourselves with our body so that we can be more present in the act, the activity of eating. And, and this is where Uzma and I've had a number of overlaps in our discussion because in her practice, it's still about, it's also about connecting with your body and really Mm -hmm. tuning in. And, and that truly is what mindfulness is. It's really just about being present and tuning in. Well, you know, when I listen to that, it sounds all good, but what about the moms who are just like, oh, that's one more thing for me to take care of? Because sometimes mm-hmm. food just is so comforting where you're just like so busy with everything in your life and you do everything you're supposed to, but then you can have that food, that burger, that chips, whatever you want in front of the TV and just be like, okay, this is my time. I'm so relaxed. I don't want to have to think about what I'm eating and how I'm eating it also. How do you get over yeah. that? Well, it's often individuals when they're struggling with emotional eating, um, there's, there's a few different, I guess I would say categories people fall into, but often it's not a sense of, sometimes it's a sense of wanting that distraction, right? Just wanting to disconnect and not have to deal with that. And then the other side of it is just a sense of chaos. And so if you're in that chaos, 
of, of emotional eating with the nattering self-talk, judging yourself, um, feeling guilty that you, you, you did it again and you too much, you ate more than you wanted, you ate something you didn't want. It's about breaking free of that. And so the process of, of going down this path of learning how to eat mindfully is about finding more ease and freedom with food. And I know it feels like a leap of faith. And I think that's why a lot of people are a little hesitant to jump into to working on their eating habits and, and overcoming emotional eating because it feels like that one more thing to do. But the end result is really being able to step back and saying, food doesn't have the hold on me the way it once did. And I've actually had a few clients who tell me that it's like, I don't feel that pull towards food that I did before we started working together. And that just brings me so much joy because that's the whole point is to, to feel more freedom around food. I, I, I love, um, yeah, I love what you said there because it just brings to mind how we have these, um, we have these attachments to so many things, right? Food, um, fear, right? Like just being fearful. And, and to me, it sounds like, you know, women out there are probably fearful that they're going to fail in having a different mindset and a different, um, just perspective on food. Absolutely. And it can be scary because sometimes our, our feels are around food are complex, they're, they're big feelings, they're upsetting feelings. And to go down this road, it's sort of, you know, I mean, most, most personal growth is this way, but, but it's this, this taking the leap and being willing to sit in some of those big feelings and do that exploration, knowing that you, you have to go through, you have to go through the forest before you can get to the other side. There is a little bit of um, willingness to sit in those big feelings in order to, to come out stronger and more resilient. So, so, yeah. So, so I want to ask this question because so many yeah. people, they, you know, do the keto, they do the low carb, they do all these other programs, right. And they some keep on trying things and they're not successful or sometimes they're, you know, successful one, they gain their weight back. Why is mindful eating something that is probably going to help them be more successful than all these shiny objects that are mm. out there? Yeah. And you, this question comes up often uh, because um, inherently a lot of those ways of eating keto, um, I can't remember what else you just said, but, but, yeah. but keto in particular, they come with all of these rules and guidelines and expectations. And so we're, so, so we're locked in. And then if we, we don't follow that perfectly, there's a sense of imperfection or judgment or shame or disappointment. Whereas with mindful eating, it really is coming from a place of self-compassion. And in fact, I, I encourage anybody who is struggling with their relationship with food um, to, to watch out for any way of eating, any diet, any program that has too many rigid rules. It doesn't offer a flexible approach for you to um, go out and spend time with family and friends and enjoy a family meal um, or, or eat with your, your friends, you know, if, if it's so rigid that it stops you from living your bigger life, then, then it's probably not a healthy way to, to do things from a mindfulness perspective. So, um, it, it, it can be, it can be very complex. And I get that question a lot of, about some of those diets, but ultimately sometimes those, those diets are often too rigid and they, they just fuel that sense of shame and blame that we're trying to overcome. Gotcha. 
Mm-hmm. So, um, Alexa, what is the connection between burnout and emotional eating? Mm-hmm. So I, I, this is, this is my, I love talking about burnout mainly because I personally have struggled with burnout, uh, over the years. I've been through a lot personally, um, through divorce, through, um, parenting my two, two young girls professionally juggling worth life balance. And I've just struggled with burnout. And burnout is, um, if, if for those of you who don't actually know the definition, it's, it's uh, defined as physical and emotional exhaustion fo- as a result of prolonged stress. And so when we talk about stress, think about the last few years with the pandemic and how much we've all been carrying in terms of stress. I know in different areas, things are lifting, but there's still this overall baseline anxiety. We're all dealing with, with worries about how this pandemic is evolving. And if we're going to have more restrictions or less restrictions, or somebody's going to get sick. So we're carrying all that extra stress and emotional eating fits in with all of this because with that and the burnout, um, because burnout is, is a is carrying that all of that stress. And emotional eating starts to happen when we start reaching for food to help soothe or distract ourselves from those big emotions that we haven't fully processed or are able to process. Sometimes that's related to um, conditioning. So how we've been uh, sort of trained over the years to um, interact with food, you know, where we raised in a household or in a lifestyle where food was used to soothe children. And as an adult, you still reach for food to help soothe yourself. Well, when we experience these big emotions under stress, we still have that conditioning in place where we look to food for, um, to soothe ourselves or to distract ourselves from, from these big feelings that we don't know how to process in healthy ways. So, so that's, that's where I do a lot of discussion with women right now who are overwhelmed, burnt out and struggling with emotional eating to start to peel that apart and understand and become more aware of what's going on in relationship to their stress level and their eating habits. Yeah, that's so true, right? Like, I mean, you look culturally about, you know, just food Mm -hmm. in general and how we have used it, you know, um, to, to kind of not, not only soothe ourselves, but it, it it is, you know, it's got good connotations as far as bringing family together, like Sunday dinner and, and those things as well. But yeah, it's like grandma here, have a sandwich here. You need to eat. You'll feel better. Absolutely. And in fact, our, the, our, our experiences with food are incredibly unique. And that's why we do have to do a little bit of inner work because no one else can explore that for you, but it can be as dynamic as, you know, we, we have all these beautiful celebrations with family centered around these wonderful foods that we, we, we love and, and, and enjoy, and we enjoy the company. And so we associate these beautiful foods with that love and affection from our family members. So when we're in a situation like this pandemic and where we go into lockdown and we're disconnected from other people where we're not able to have that social or family interaction that we, we so enjoy it's a faulty connection, but we may be reaching for food to help recreate some of that connection we're looking for. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So if somebody came to you and a mom came to you and said, Alexa, you know, I really need help. I don't know what to do. I've been gaining weight. I've been losing weight. I'm like a (laughs) yo-yo. How do I start with your mindfulness eating? What is step one? Step one. So 
mindfulness is really centered around awareness. And so it is really about slowing down. Easier said than done. And I realize that for busy women, it's, it's so much easier for me to sit here and say, you need to slow down. But what I encourage women to do or any individual I'm working with to do is to take uh, four or five deep breaths every time before you go to eat. Just put your hands on your lap. Don't touch your utensils or your food. Just put your hands on your lap and take a few mindful breaths and just tune in. And when you're tuning in, asking yourself, what hunger cues am I sensing? Some people actually don't even know what their hunger cues feel like because they're so busy and disconnected from them. So asking yourself, what sensations do I have in my body right now around my hunger? And then asking yourself without judgment, what is the emotion I'm experiencing? And you can use whatever word fits, you know? So is it sad, angry, happy, apathy? You know, maybe you just simply don't feel anything. Um, and, and then go ahead and eat without judgment. Just, just, it's a really, the start is always with awareness. And then that feeds into the second step I would say is start to practice self-compassion. So like I said, you eat without judgment. Our relationship with food is so complex and sometimes we don't even fully understand why we have those connections. So starting to look at it from a, a place of free of judgment, where we're not judging ourselves for for feeling that way around food and just observing it and letting ourselves be present and, and aware of those funny thoughts that pop into our head. Um, and, and number three is simply to be patient, depending on, on how complex it is. It may take a little while to get going with mindful eating. And, um, so it, you know, just don't expect it to change overnight. I know we all start out with anything we're doing with food and hope that the results show up the next day but just giving yourself some time to really um, lean into it because it can, it can be a bit of a process, but it's incredibly rewarding. That sense of freedom and ease around food. It's, it's, it's almost, you can't even, you can't quantify it. It's, it's just such a beautiful thing to have once you discover it. Mm, really great tips. Um, okay. I'm moving on to questions. The yeah. role nutrition plays in helping burnout Mm-hmm. So if, that. so, so when we, this is really interesting and, um, this is all very fascinating. It yeah. is. And so when we talk about burnout and the sense of prolonged, prolonged, um, exposure to stress and the exhaustion we feel most people, if you ask them, are you burnt out that yeah, I know I'm burnt out. People can identify that, but what they've been able to do when they pair, um, you know, when they do scoring surveys for individuals who report burnout, people who report higher burnout scores tend to also have physiological changes to their health. These individuals often, you know, when they've studied this, they have higher blood sugar levels. They've got higher cholesterol, higher heart rates. They've got higher morning cortisol levels. Now we, we inherently have a surge of cortisol in the morning that gets us up and going, but with individuals who score higher with burnout, their cortisol levels in the morning are even higher. And so cortisol being our stress hormone, we're seeing higher levels of that stress hormone in the morning. And interestingly, individuals who score higher for burnout um, also have lower vitamin D levels, interestingly enough. So there's a, even though when, when somebody says they're tired, it's, it's, you know, everybody's tired, right? You know, that, that well, anybody can say they're tired. We we actually see 
physiological changes in some individuals who are experiencing that, that burnout, that prolonged exposure to stress that's causing a physical and emotional fatigue. So if we're going to use nutrition to help recover from burnout or prevent burnout, there are some things we can do to help support our system. So first and foremost, if we're talking about blood sugar control, we're going to avoid sweetened drinks and trying to focus on including more plant-based foods. Now, it, you don't have to necessarily go vegetarian or vegan, although those tend to be um, great ways to go about it if you, if you enjoy those options. But just focus on getting lots of fruits, whole fruits, vegetables, um, whole grains, and uh, introducing legumes, so beans and lentils, wherever you can to get more fiber in your diet. When we have a diet that's high in fiber, it helps stabilize blood sugars. Um, another thing we can do is increase, oh, actually one thing I didn't mention is that individuals who score with burnout also have higher inflammation, um, these biomarkers in their system. So we see more inflammation in their body. Yeah. And inflammation is interesting because that is inflammation is the number one cause of disease. Mm -hmm. So, so the avoiding sweetened drinks and high sugar foods also helps to support reducing inflammation. Yeah. But to enhance that even further is trying to include more foods that are high and rich in omega-3 fats. Omega-3 fats are healthy fats, and they have been shown to help with inflammation. So omega-3 fats are found in things like our fish. So if you had fish two to three times a week for a meal, that would be a great way to get omega-3s. You can include um, some of our, our delicious nuts. Things like walnuts are a great source of omega-3s. Um, and flaxseed, that's another great way to get omega-3s in your diet. Um, ground flaxseed on top of your oatmeal or your overnight oats or in your baked goods can also help to integrate more omega-3s into your diet. And then of course, with the vitamin D being low, vitamin D um, is a sunlight our sunlight vitamin. So we get it from sun exposure when we are exposed, our skin's exposed to sun um, a compound in our skin is converted into a usable form of vitamin D in our body. So we can use it. Um, and when our vitamin D levels are low, um, it puts us as, at risk of, um, bone, bone in terms of our bone health, but also we found that individuals who have lower vitamin D tend to also show changes in their energy level and their mood. So again, that plays into the burnout piece. So trying to get more vitamin D into our, our diet and also with what we can get from the sun. Yeah. Well, and that totally makes sense. Right. Cause in, you know, you, you talk about like the winter blues because people aren't outside as much and mm -hmm. think about it. You're so much happier in the summertime when you're just out in the warmth and the sunshine. Um, so Absolutely. yeah, yeah. Makes I actually take uh, vitamin D supplements. Yeah. And uh, so well, a lot yeah. of individuals actually will go that route. Um, yeah. Most individuals over the age of 50 should be taking a vitamin D supplement. It's just really tricky to get it from diet alone. Um, and if you are struggling with um, burnout, it, it may be a good idea to also con consider taking a vitamin D supplement in that case as well. If you're going to focus on food sources, dairy products or um, non-dairy alternatives, so things like uh, soy milk, so long as it's fortified with vitamin D, those are great ways to get more vitamin D into your diet. And again, fish is also a nice source of vitamin D. So if you're already going to get it in your diet for your omega threes, it's also going to benefit you in terms of uh, your vitamin D as well. 
So Alexa, there is a question that I've been wanting to ask you um, and I was waiting for you to come on so everybody could hear also is that I do the 16 hour fast. Mm -hmm. Is that something that is mindful or that is necessary? Because I don't like it. I mean, I don't eat. <laughs> I don't eat breakfast till like one o'clock or something like that. Sometimes one thirty because I go to bed late and then I have that food late. So, you know, I don't like it, but I do it because it's the thing to do, I guess. And it's, I guess it makes me feel good and cleansed, but do I have to do it? Is that something that you recommend for mindful eating or as a dietitian? I, I love this question. Um, so intermittent fasting is what you're talking about and, and yeah. it is very popular right now. The research around intermittent fasting is still, I'd say relatively young, although there is some interesting research out there in terms of um, helping with um, inflammation and cholesterol levels. However, when we're talking about somebody who's really struggling with um, emotional eating or the relationship with food, I, it's not a practice I encourage because it is, it, it's a way of eating that forces us to ignore our hunger cues. So, so what, what I really do in my practice is get women to tune into their hunger cues, reconnect with their body. When they're doing intermittent fasting, they may be hungry two hours before their fasting windows over. Yeah. yeah. And, and so you're, we're pretty much saying don't eat. You've got two more hours. You should, you sh it's better for you to struggle and then for you to acknowledge your body. And so you start to create disconnect between yourself and your body. It would be the same as saying, you know, Uzma, like you saying, I have to go to the washroom right now. And then someone saying, no, no, your, your washroom window is not for another two hours. You better hold it. You know, we're denying these cues our body has to tell us what it needs. Um, and so when we talk about reconnecting with our body and healing that relationship, intermittent fasting often doesn't work because it forces us to ignore what our body is telling us. Okay. Not always, but often. No, because I'm finding that like two hours before, I'm like, oh my God, I can't handle this. Drinking the coffee, trying to find something to do. And I'm like, oh, can I make it through? You know, yeah. and, then, and then I eat later, but it's just really hard for me to do it. Yeah. Alexa, Uzma's thrilled now. She can stop intermittent fasting. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think. Yeah, I seriously, I'm going to stop now. <laughs> ultimately, when we talk about, you know, the use of intermittent fasting and weight loss, I it's, it's just another approach to create a calorie deficit. There's no magic to it in terms of weight loss. It's, it's really just about a way for people to say, I can't eat unless it's in these hours. Therefore, when I eat, it's going to be less calories. Yeah. Um, and early in the day, people tend to have a little bit more, their con cognitive uh, functions are stronger. And so their ability to say, I can't eat is easier than saying in that in the evening, right? To shut that off. Most people struggle with their emotional eating in the evening. So I think it's a way that, that people gravitate towards because it's easier to, to, to avoid food in the morning and not as much later in the day. Yeah. My husband will be so happy because over the <laughs> I was watching him eat breakfast. And he's like, you don't want to eat with me. I'm like, no, I have two hours left. And he's yeah. eating this nice breakfast. And I'm just like with a black coffee staring at him while he's eating. And he's yeah. just like, are you sure you don't want to bite? I'm like, no, it's two more hours. So now I can have breakfast with him again. So there you go. Yeah. Alexa, <laughs> I, I, I have a question that I feel I, I, <laughs> And I forget who did the research, but I recently read an article about, you know, um, people have this, this, 
this conception that like, once you're over 50, your metabolism slows down. Mm -hmm. And this study said, that's absolutely not true. What they've discovered is really going on is you become more sedentary. You were more active when you were younger. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Absolutely. And I, I, I agree with you. I don't, I I've come across that as well. And I don't remember who did the study, but there's so we we've created these beliefs that our metabolism is working against us. But reality is, is that our lives are just changing. Our bodies are changing. So for women in particular, it is partly that, that we, we tend to be a little bit more sedentary, but also as women go through menopause, we have a drop in estrogen in our body through that process of perimenopause and menopause. And with less estrogen, um, we also have a harder time building lean muscle mass. So if we're not actively working to maintain our lean muscle mass through activity, you know, do we do resistance training? Are we more sedentary? We are going to lose some of that muscle mass and our muscle mass is a little bit more metabolically active than fatty tissue. So we, we do find it's going to, we're not going to be burning as many calories because we're not as active. We don't have as much lean muscle mass. So it is about trying to maintain our physical activity as we get older and finding joy in it and the role that it has to support what we want. We want to be able to continue eating the way we've always eaten without changes in our body weight. So, um, you know, just even looking at physical activity from the fact that you want to maintain these, these things that you, you want to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thanks for that. Yeah. I, and I don't know anybody, anybody listening. I um, recently started working at whole foods. Cause I'm like, Oh my God, I'm just sitting in my house have been for two years. I'm, I've become very sedentary, even though I was going to the gym and walking, it was still was just like, okay, I'll go walk for a half an hour, 45 minutes, mm-hmm. you know, weight training twice a week. But, um, I was snacking all day here as well. And I've lost seven pounds just getting off my chair and being more active. So I have found, and, and obviously I snack less too. So I've found that to be true, at least in my case, that I really was just sedentary. It wasn't, it wasn't because I'm 53. I wasn't moving as much. Absolutely. Well, I'll give you a a good example to go along with this last year, about a year ago, right now. I broke my right foot and which meant I couldn't drive. I pretty much, it was middle of winter. We had at least, you know, a foot of snow most of the winter. And so I, and we were in during a pandemic and in lockdown. So I didn't go anywhere. And it was the biggest difference for me was the fact that I went from walking every day to not doing anything at all. And I did experience weight gain. My food and eating didn't change just my activity. And it, it does make a big impact when we can just be active in our everyday. If we can look for ways to just enjoy a little walk here and there, get up and get moved, do activity standing. I love the idea of standing desks. Yeah. My dream is to have one in my home op- office at some point, but just even getting our body moving and finding joy in that movement, that it's not a currency for food, right? We're not looking for activity right. to be this, this punishment for eating or this currency so that we can eat, but looking for the joy in it, independent of, of food that, that it's, it's serving our body in other ways. It's making us feel good. It's making us feel more flexible, less aches and pains. I'm thinking about yoga for you, Uzma, you know, just even finding joy in that, that movement of your body every day. Exactly. 
Mm. Love it. Do you have any more questions, Kate? I don't. Oh, you don't? Do you? I do. Go. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it, when your first session, like when people say, okay, Alexa, I'm joining your group, what do you do in your first session to make everybody really feel like, you know, okay, this is something that I can do? Because I'm still stuck on how hard it is to, you know, just have <clears throat> to have, think about what I'm eating and be mindful. Because for me, you know, food is just like, okay, you know, I do my podcast, I do everything I want. And then it's like, okay, let me put on my favorite TV show, grab whatever I can sit down and eat it, you know, because it's just like my time. And it's so much comfort for me, you know, and mm. then I'll eat something healthy, but then I'll have to get something else. And how do you tell, how do you get that right mindset? Well, and I, th that's a fantastic question. We cover so much in my initial sessions. Um, usually, I mean, we do get to know each other a little bit, um, but we cover so much, but a lot of it is just centered around creating awareness of, of what you do. And again, not everybody is alike. So one of the activities that I love doing is looking at your food attachment style. Now, this isn't something that is, um, you know, research-based as, you know, as it is the romantic attachment styles. This is something that I've just observed. So I use it as a practice, but it really holds true. If not, everybody has the same attachment style when it comes to food. So are you somebody who is more avoidant with, with their, your relationship with food versus more anxious about your, you know, are you always thinking about food or worrying about things or wanting to control things a lot? So there's, and then there's a blend of in between. So just even creating some awareness there. But you said something just now that really got twigged me. And what I, I almost would challenge you to do, Uzma, in those particular situations is finding intention. Rather than, you know, that, that sense of, oh, one more thing I have to do is looking at it from the flip side and saying, this is something I get to do. How can I enjoy it the most? Yes. So being intentional with our food choices. And um, I post a lot on social media, but one of them I... I, I recently posted is, is about, it's okay to have a piece of cake. There's nothing wrong with a piece of cake. The, the biggest issue is when we are eating it and not feeling in control, when we're eating it with yes. intention and with, with the goal of enjoying the experience of the cake, of enjoying what's around us, the smell of the cake, the taste of the cake, maybe the cup of tea we're having with the cake, the amazing show we found on Netflix that we are just dying to watch and we're going to enjoy it with our piece of cake. That is intentional eating. And so it doesn't necessarily have to be this slog of, of constantly looking inward. It, it can be simply about being present in the decision of what to eat and how much and, and being okay with that, that you're in control. I love that because the other day, actually, we bought home a piece of cake and I took a bite and I'm like, oh, shit. And then I took another bite and I'm like, this is wrong, you know, and I was just eating it, but I was not enjoying it. Every bite tasted really good, but I was mad at you didn't myself. Let you didn't let yourself. No. What kind I of cake didn't. was it? It was like this um, tiramisu raspberry almond cake that we have at this bakery and you just get one slice of it. Right. And we all share it. You know, and whenever there's a little bit left, I go in the kitchen, I'll take a bite and I'll be like, oh, this is wrong. And I, and I never enjoy the cake because every time I'm taking a bite, I'm like, this is wrong. I don't say, ooh, this is so good. I'm like, it tastes good, but this is wrong. So I start out 
trying to be mindful, but then my mind goes, uh, uh-uh, this is so wrong. Yeah. And so, so that's the, the awareness that we have to create is listen to those yeah. thoughts, ask yourself, you know, is that, does that make sense? Right. Yeah. That's the awareness we're creating and then have self-compassion because that thought that, that is this wrong stems from something. Why, yeah. you know, where's your belief coming that that's wrong and then have compassion that that's, that's some old thinking that we're trying to get rid of. And it's just going to hang on for a little bit longer. It's not our fault. That's just old thinking. I, instead I'm going to have my, my delicious cake, but first I'm going to boil the kettle and make a cup of tea so that I have it and enjoy the full experience of it yeah, and give yourself amazing. permission. I love that. That, that, so that sounds so good. Doesn't it? <laughs> I'm going to go make but, some tea in a bit. Exactly. <laughs> but we grow up, you know, with society and, you know, other women and everything in magazines that weight is so important. Being skinny is so important. Eating that cake is wrong. Don't <laughs> eat the cake, eat the apple. You know what I mean? It's just all around us. That yep. I think I've just grown up with, you know, you have to maintain your weight. If you're heavy, then, you know, this is wrong. So weight has always been like a struggle for me because if I gain a little bit, then someone will be like, oh, you gained weight. You know, if I lose weight, oh, you look so young. You don't look your age anymore. You mm-hmm. know, so I have that conflict in my head all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think when there's so much, um, it, you Right. Societal conditioning around weight, yes, right? Exactly. Like it's okay for, for men to be maybe a little heavier, but not women. Right. Yeah. We, we, we have this, um, these, this perfectionism that, that, you know, women are supposed to up, be upheld to these crazy standards, but funny on the flip side, I, you know, I have a 17 year old son who's like six, two and 120 pounds and he, he eats, but he's very mindful about what he eats which I find yeah. fascinating. Like he, he doesn't like to eat sugar. He's very um, sensitive about what he eats, but his doctor is like flipping out on me. <laughs> like we need to, I, you need to check in with me in, in three months. He is way underweight for his age, his height, all this stuff. And I'm like, you know, I, and, and I had to sit him down and tell him he's fine. He's perfectly normal. There is nothing wrong with him. Right. Like it, it, it's, it, it just blows my mind that we have these very narrow, um, parameters mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. people's weight and what they should be and what they should not be. And, and I feel like, like our health standards are, um, just not very flexible. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's a really interesting circumstance. So, so different than what so many women yeah. experience. Absolutely. Yes. And, and I do spend, when I work with clients, I do spend often some time talking about how we value ourselves in the context of our body weight and without our body weight, because all too often our self-worth and our value is, is too closely tied to our body weight that when uh, our, our body weight changes, we suddenly go, oh my gosh, am I not worthy? Am I not valuable? Mm-hmm. Am I not lovable? But inherently at our core, all of us are worthy and lovable. And I know we'd all say, yes, we understand that, but there's still some faulty connections in our mind that say, will my worth still be there if I'm not whatever weight I'm supposed to be? And so we do try and break that down a little bit more and talk about, do you know who you are without your body weight? What are your values? If someone were to describe you, what would they, how would they describe your, your beautiful personality? Um, because you, you are unique, you offer a lot to this world, whatever your body size, career, finances, your credentials, all of those things can get taken away. Well, who are you at the court? Yeah. So and, 
I, I, I love that too. I was just reading something about how you are not your body at all, right? You are an energetic field that um, your body mm-hmm. is just kind of a manifestation of that, but that is not at the core who you, who you are. This, mm-hmm. this thing is not you. It, it is your energetic field. And so yeah. it's something to remember. Yeah, absolutely. So we do some work around that in my practice, because I do find that that is a very fundamental piece to our relationship with food and our body. If we don't understand our own um, worth and values and our personality separate from, from our, our weight and our, our finances and our credentials, we're always going to struggle. We're always going to come back to this place of feeling unworthy, unlovable, not confident. So we do need to do a bit of that work in the process. Yeah. I think for a lot of older women, it's the age, right? You start getting older and you start thinking about your weight, your life, and you start wondering what your purpose is. And Mm -hmm. I think that's a lot when weight starts, you know, starts getting into play in that mindset. Do you think that is, you know, with the changes as we get older? Mm -hmm. I do think it's, I would say it's definitely part of the puzzle. Probably at every stage of life, there's, there's influences to how we feel about our weight um, and, and what we feel the, 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 the norms and the, the expectations are. Um, but I think for some people, it's a sudden sense of, if not now, when, you know, if I'm not going to get to the place where I'm happy with my body and happy with my health, if I don't do it now, when am I going to do it? Um, so I think that sometimes is a driving force behind some of our decisions. Yeah. Yeah. I have some clients that I've talked to and their change becomes when they have daughters and their daughters start becoming teenagers and getting older. So they mm-hmm. start, you know, looking at their daughters and being like, oh my gosh, I'm not young anymore. It's her. So you see a lot of moms and daughters like dressing in jeans and black tops and the mom and the daughter go through this thing where the daughter's getting older, but they're kind of dressing alike. Yeah. You know, yeah. and they start over trying to like be like friends And then all of a sudden you start being like, oh my gosh, I'm older. It's her time. And now I got to reevaluate my own self. I have a lot of moms who have that identity, you know, crisis when their daughters get older. And so do you, do you think that in some way, and I know you, you work with a lot of um, individuals with kids who are of that age group that, and getting older, do you think in part that that comes back to understanding your own worth values and personality because for so long you've, you so over identified as a mom and not much else, you know? And I think a lot of women, we do this at different stages where we say, I'm a mom, right? If you introduce yourself, you say, oh, I'm this, that, and a mom, right? As part of our identity. And then when suddenly our kids are growing up and they don't need us and they're off doing their own thing and figuring out who they are, is that, is that challenging our sense of self? Yes, I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so then, yeah, cause that's when moms start working out and thinking about what's eating and yoga and mm-hmm. mindfulness and all of that. That's all mm-hmm. of a sudden when it happens. Yeah. You know? Yeah, definitely. I, I, it, it makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So this was so awesome. Wasn't it Kate? Yeah. Yeah, no, I love this. I love, like, I, I just love, you know, Uzma, you and I, we, we, talk all the time about mindfulness and intuitiveness and that kind of thing too. And, um, applying it to every aspect of your life, right. Not just like the woo part of it, which, which I freaking love, but you know, to, to how you're nourishing your body. And, um, so yeah, I, I find, I find this connection to everything just very fascinating. And, um, 
you know, I'm sure a lot of the stuff Alexa teaches you can, you can apply to pretty much every part of your life. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would love to have Alexa on again. I think it'd be so much fun. Yes. Oh yeah. There's Absolutely. so much we can talk about. Yeah. No, I, so I, I much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll keep going. <laughs> well, fascinating <laughs> to talk to you, Alexa. Um, yeah. Great podcast guys. Yeah. Love yeah, it. It was Thank awesome. So, so inviting. If, sure. If anyone wanted to reach out to you, um, how could they do that? And then also you can, we can put it down in the show notes as well, but if anyone wanted to reach out to you, how do, could they do that? Absolutely. The best way to catch me is through my website. Uh, it's Alexa, the um, But if you're on social media, both Facebook and Instagram, my handle is balanced life boss. Nice. Awesome. Or you could go to Alexa and say, Alexa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, so moms remember to share, like, and subscribe every week. Watch it. Actually, it's every other week. It is every other week. It's, it's twice every a month. Twice a month. That's easier to say. <laughs> All right. Weekly never made exactly. sense to me. Yeah. Thank you so much, Alexa. Kate, I'll Thank talk to you, you soon. All right, love.